Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Swinburne Astronomy Online, the world's longest-running online astronomy degree program. Visit astronomy.swin.edu.au for more information. Astronomy Cast, episode 282 for Monday, November 26, 2012, Seasons. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts based journey through the cosmos where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a professor at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. Hey, Pamela, how are you doing? I'm doing well, just shivering a little bit, which somehow yes. seems appropriate for discussing the seasons. Yes, exactly. Yes, we are recording <laughs> in very cold places in our houses, and uh, and that's uh, going to come through the recording. So we're going to try and keep the energy level up, uh, ask uh, very warm questions. And, so, and we're acutely aware of the changing seasons in our northern hemisphere homes today. Yeah. So one thing that I would like people to know is, as always, we record this episode as a live hangout on Google+. Plus. And so you can come, you can watch us record the episode live. But one of the cool things that we do is we stick around after we do our recording for about half an hour or so and answer questions and, you know, sort of continue the conversation. And we're happy to both answer and discuss the topics that we're talking about in the show, but also just anything about space and astronomy. If you have some weird what-if scenarios that don't require too much math, we can throw them at Pamela and just demonstrate her um, massive brain. so And traumatize me so, in the process. And, and traumatize Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's we, we don't go easy on Pamela during that <laughs> uh, that second segment. So, but if you want more of the show, you want more of us, you want more of sort of space silliness, then that's a, that's a great way to kind of get more out of it. Now, you can always, if you miss it live, you can always just watch it on YouTube as well. So, although the, the podcast, the tight 30-minute, 25-minute podcast goes out on our podcast feed, the full video is, is recorded on YouTube and you can find that there. And I think people can get that on the CosmoQuest yes, site, right? Yes, it's, it's all archived through CosmoQuest. And if you search on CosmoQuest in YouTube, you'll see a channel called Astrosphere Vids. And that's that's our host channel for everything we do at CosmoQuest. Yeah, and there's a beautiful archive of all the different projects that we work on. So, so I highly recommend if you want more of the astronomy cast, then that's a way you can get more of it. Okay, great. All right, well, let's get rolling. This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Eighth Light Inc. Eighth Light is an agile software development company. They craft beautiful applications that are durable and reliable. Eighth Light provides disciplined software leadership on demand and shares its expertise to make your project better. For more information, visit them online at www.eighthlight.com. Just remember, that's www.thedigit8th. L-I-G-H-T dot com. Drop them a note. Eighth Light. Software is their craft. So spring, summer, autumn, and winter, these are the seasons that we experience here on Earth as our planet completes an orbit around the sun. But what's going on? Why do we experience such different temperatures and weather over the course of 365 days? Do other planets experience the seasons like we do? So, okay, so... 
if I recall correctly, uh, the seasons happen because the Earth is moving closer and further away to the sun, eh, right? No. No, that's no, wrong. No, but that's, that's what most a, people believe. I know, and it's, it's such yeah. a disturbing idea, because how does that work with the northern and southern hemispheres? Because really, we, we can't... That Yeah, it just doesn't work. So mm-hmm. I, I think people are just like not aware that there's two halves to our planet or something. <laughs> right, people don't think through the implications of what's really going on. Right. Okay, fine. So, so that is not what's going on. It is no. not the Earth getting closer and further from the sun over the course of its orbit. It's, it's not. We're, we're actually closest to the sun in the beginning of January. So those of us in the northern hemisphere, when we're shivering after the New Year's, we're closest to the sun at that point. We're, that's true. Uh, okay, so then what's really going on? What is what is the cause of all of this seasonal madness? It, at, at its most simple, it, it's a matter that as the planet orbits around, we're keeping our northern pole always pointed at the same star in the sky, Polaris, plus or minus a degree, and the butt end of the, the planet, sorry, southern hemisphere, Always. The, the, the important half of the planet, <laughs> our pointed wonderful at, at, southern hemisphere <laughs> listeners, at, at, at the same set of stars in the southern hemisphere. And, and in order to maintain the planetary alignment relative to the stars other than our sun, as we go around the sun, we're actually orienting different parts of our planet toward the sun. So if, if you live in the extreme north or the extreme south, you know that during your summer, the sun may never set. And, and this is because your part of the planet is pointed towards the sun such that as the planet rotates, the sun never gets below your horizon. And and in the winter, the sun may never come up or it may only come up for a brief period of time because you're almost exclusively in shadow. So so this is the problem that you have planetary tilt and then you have that dividing line of where the sunlight is hitting and the sunlight hits the half of the planet that is oriented toward the sun and if the North Pole is in that half that's oriented towards the sun, that half that is being illuminated by the sun, well, that, that's where the sun will never set. Now, two days of the year, the equinoxes in, in March and September, these are the days when the North Pole lines up with, with that line between sun and shadow cast on our planet, and, and the South Pole lines up with that same line. And, and this means that our north and, and south poles are, are exactly at a right angle to the sunlight coming at our planet. And, and that means that on those days, you get both sunrise and sunset on the two poles. You get equal amounts of daylight and nighttime. But the rest of the year, pick a pole, it's going to be pointed at the sun if you pick the right one. And I think one of the things that causes people a lot of problems is just this concept of, I mean, they can understand that the Earth's axis is tilted. And so they can imagine, you know, instead of the Earth spinning straight up and down, that you actually, you know, like a gyroscope. Have you ever played with a gyroscope? Yeah. Or have you ever been in like one of those science experiments? Like it's in like a science museum and they give you like a big a big um, bicycle wheel to yeah. spin. And, and and you try and spin it and the chair yeah. you're on moves instead. Yeah. Right. And so you can turn it one way or turn it another way and you can kind of feel that you can feel that centripetal force, but you can also sort of see that that's what it would be like. You know, if you held that that uh, bicycle tire where the, the handles are pointing up and down, that would is that would be as if the earth had no tilt, turn it a bit to the side. And now you've got that slight tilt for the uh, 
for the Earth's axis. But I think the part where, where people really go wrong is how it's on one side of the Earth's orbit of this, of, you know, of the sun. It's pointed towards the North Pole, towards the Polaris. And then on the other side of the orbit, it's still pointed in that same direction. Right. Earth but is now, always pointed in the northern hemisphere, roughly towards Polaris, and in the southern hemisphere, roughly towards a small triangle of stars. And, and the other place where they get very confused is when we say that the seasons are because we are oriented with a pole more closely aligned towards the sun than during the other season. Well, if the North Pole is, is at its most aligned toward the sun in summer, well, doesn't that make it closer to the sun? Well, yes, but it also makes me closer to New York if I lean backwards in my chair because I know New York is that direction. Now, the difference between here and here and my head in New York City, not a noticeable amount. And, and the difference in distance between New York City and the sun, between winter and summer, it's not defined by the tilt. The, the distance is much more defined by the ellipticity of the Earth's orbit. So it, it's a matter of proportion. It's a matter of what matters. And that distance change between being pointed towards the sun and being pointed away from the sun, it, it, it really doesn't add up to a noticeable amount. So, so this leads to the whole confusion of why is it colder in the winter? Mm-hmm. Well, and there's a great science experiment that you can do that really nicely illustrates that is to take a flashlight and to aim it straight towards, say, like a piece of paper, and you'd call that summer, but then aim it at an angle, and you would call that winter. But you can see that the amount of of space that the that the flashlight is illuminating is much larger but it's still the same amount of light coming out of the out of the flashlight and and this this is somewhat um not as easy to understand with modern led flashlights with the old incandescent ones you could hold them close to your hand and you could actually feel the warmth and as you tilt the light and spread the light over more of your hand uh it's not hot anymore but you can actually if you have a a green laser pointer that is illegal um one of those ones that you should absolutely not point at the sky but you can buy on the internet if you take one of those green and i i know that many i have of you, i have yes a, um if you, i love my green laser anyways <laughs> if you take one of these green laser pointers and and you take a bar of chocolate a nice smooth bar of chocolate if you hold the laser pointer so that the beam is as small as possible so the pointer is exactly perpendicular to the chocolate you you can melt a divot in the chocolate because of the heat of the green laser beam now if you tilt the laser so that it's almost a glancing blow and you see this large green blob of the light getting spread out across the chocolate you might eventually be able to melt some chocolate but the the intensity of the light it, it's just not concentrated enough to have a quick melt effect so this this is a a meaningful experiment using a laser that you shouldn't let children play with uh this is a meaningful experiment that that allows you to see if if the light is focused over a small area all of that heat is concentrated and it warms it up if that if that light is spread over a larger area you're you're trying to heat a larger area and it's just not going to be as effective and, and it's that efficiency in heating that goes down in the winter. Right. And so the sun is only putting out a set amount of photons, <clears throat> but those photons are having to spread across a wider area of the Earth. And so you're getting just less 
less heat. And and in this so particular case, the the light coming out from the sun is far bigger than the planet Earth. And and so what's happening is at the pole, not at the pole, at the the uh, line where it's the midpoint of of where the sunlight is hitting the Earth on the equinoxes. This is the equator of the planet. Right there, the sunlight is hitting straight down, so it's getting concentrated nicely. But as you hit the more and more curved parts of the planet, the light has to to spread out to to cover that tilting surface, and and you can do this experiment with with a big light if you hold the board straight up as you tilt it more and more and more in that light you'll see that it gets fainter and fainter yeah so so that's sort of why the the seasons are happening but yet we don't really experience the seasons here on earth in this in this really sort of absolute stark way like the coldest, I guess, well, for example, like the longest day of the year, the day that's getting the most sunlight for the northern hemisphere is what, June 21st, right? right? The, the the summer solstice. And yet that's not the hottest days of the year. The hottest days are usually coming in July and, and August. So why is there that delay happening? It, it's the same reason that I can walk up to my steam radiators in in this old house i live in and and even though the heat is off they're still warm it's it's because our planet is able to hold on to that heat and continue radiating it out now at the same time it it absorbs some of the heat so so what ends up happening is we have the sunlight coming down hits the planet earth earth absorbs a lot of the different colors of light re-radiates it as infrared which we perceive as warm now in the winter it's radiating away the heat faster than it's absorbing heat so this this means that it's basically going to end up giving up all of its heat by the end of winter in some places, uh, or at least a lot of its heat. It doesn't become like a Bose-Einstein condensate and hit absolute zero. It, it simply gets cold. In, in that would be the, bad. It would be bad. It really would be bad. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> the, the soil, the, the bodies of water, many different heat sinks, they, they radiate away the summer's heat during the winter, during that first part, allowing us to, to have fairly mild falls, allowing the longest day of winter to not be the coldest day of winter because the ground is still radiating out that summer heat it absorbed. But by the time the end of February and March comes along, a lot of that heat has been given up to the air. And, and so when, when the days start getting longer again after the March equinox, we're now at a point where the soil is trying to warm back up, trying to warm back up, but it's not re-radiating a lot of heat. Come August, we have sunlight coming down, and then we have the ground re-radiating up at us. And so it's that combined heat of the planet and the sun that makes August such a miserable month. It's a wonderful month. It's, it's the dog days of summer. It's the dog right. sitting in the grass, tongue lolled out, being lazy. That that is my yeah. image of summer. Yeah. Um, so now, for you know, for for you and and I in the northern hemisphere, you know, we've got these really distinct seasons. We've got a 
Well, I guess maybe not me on the West Coast. I've got a rainy, <laughs> Those a, of us a rainy who are far fall. Far enough north. <laughs> yeah, far enough north. Yeah, I have a rainy fall, a rainy winter, and a rainy spring, and then a hot, dry summer. So uh, that's the best I can do. But uh, but for a lot of people, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere and for, far enough in the Southern Hemisphere, you get these distinct seasons. But for a lot of places closer to the equator, they really don't experience seasons in the same way no, that, that folks and, like and us do. So what's going on there? So so here you basically have the sun bouncing back and forth between a narrow set of angles in the sky. So in, in the northern hemisphere, where we are north of the Tropic of, of Cancer, um, north of Florida basically, where we are, the sun never becomes straight overhead. But it goes from fairly low on the horizon to midway up the horizon to to slowly getting closer and closer just straight overhead as you move further south so for us the seasons are defined as in summer the the sun is at its highest point in the sky in winter the sun is at its lowest point in the sky so this this argument that the seasons are caused by how directly the sunlight hits hits the earth makes perfect sense now if you happen to live on the equator on those equinoxes, on those days in March and September, you have the sun straight overhead. And as you go into the extreme southern hemisphere, you end up with the sun lower on the southern horizon. As you go into the extreme northern summer, you end up with the sun low on the northern horizon. And so you actually find that in your December and June, that's when the sun is lowest on the horizon. So the sun is constantly bouncing between these two points that that are both pretty high in the sky and you just never get any relief. So when you live in that It's always sending out energy, yeah. Yeah. It just makes for a miserable uh, lack of of geometric relief from the sun. I I think I, I can remember being in Mexico one time and I guess it was in... December and and seeing the sun that high up still was really unnerving to me right because you know I'm so used to the sun taking this long low path across the southern horizon you know like especially like now as we're nearing December we don't get much sun sun gets up you know in Canada right the sun rises around uh, nine o'clock and does this slow, this, you know, very low to the horizon across the entire day, and then probably sets around 4.30 or so. So, you know, very little sun. Travel opens you up to understanding the sky. Last Christmas, my my husband and I made the discovery that the transatlantic cruises aren't that expensive when compared to a lot of other things um, during the Christmas period. And and so we, we... ended up sailing from Gibraltar down to Rio de Janeiro. And and as we made this journey that crossed the equator, we watched Orion going from standing up to standing on his head. We we watched our days go from short to long. And and the temperatures changed and it was just this this dramatic example that we live on a globe. And mm-hmm. and you have to just imagine how confusing and and perhaps even terrifying this was to to early sailors as they took off from northern latitudes like England and then sailed the Cape of Good Hope. It's it's our planet is extremely varied and and you can find almost everything on any given day of the year. 
Now, like with many things in astronomy, our current experience of the way things are is not the way things have always been. There are cycles going on that actually change the way these seasons are are experienced. Um, there's one oh, I forget, like is it Milankovitch cycle? Well, it, you know, it, there's it's there, there's a lot of these different cycles, yeah. and and they have many different names, and they they basically boil down to three different things. One, there's some sort of cyclic cycling of our atmosphere that we don't understand that probably is some interplay with volcanoes and other things like that 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 are our earth affecting our atmosphere um, there are additional cycles however that are caused by our our earth's pole slowly precessing just as tops precess but then our planet is also getting uh, torqued, which is a fun word to say. It's also getting torqued by its interactions with other worlds. So over time, the orientation of our rotational axis is changing. And as that orientation changes, that changes the geometry between us and the sun. It changes the angle at which the sunlight hits the planet Earth. And in effect, it changes how intense the light is on different parts of our planet throughout the year. Right. And so like that, that cycle is, you know, some of those cycles are quite long, right? Like uh, hundreds of thousands of years. years. Yeah. yeah. One, I think one is like 13,000 years for essentially for the seasons to flip. Right. Well, for they, you to they get. never completely flip, but, but they do change radically. Now you mentioned like right at the very beginning that in fact, the earth is at the Northern hemisphere is at its closest point to the sun in the first week January. of January. Yeah. Right. And then it's at its most distant point, I guess, in what, you know, in the Northern hemispheres. And, and this does actually have a small effect on how different our two poles are. So right. the Southern pole is, is not undergoing the same complete glacial melt that we're seeing in the Northern pole where you can now safely take cargo from Russia to Alaska in the summer. Yeah. So, <sighs> Yes. It, so this is one of the reasons why Antarctica is just a lot more, a lot colder, a lot more, you know, more temperature extremes than the northern. And and the fact that pole? it's land also changes the thermal capacity. Yeah. Where we yeah. really see this much more markedly is on Mars, which has a tilt not too different from the Earth's tilt, but its seasons are more exaggerated because its tilt is just a bit more exaggerated and the entire world, well, it, it clearly doesn't have oceans the way we do, at least not today. And, and so we do see much more difference between its northern and southern poles. And then, you know, this is perfect. I want to talk about some of the other planets in the solar system because, as you said, Mars has a very similar axial tilt to the, to the Earth, and so they get these same kinds of yeah. seasons. But some of the other planets are a little more extreme. Saturn has seasons, right? Saturn has seasons. The Cassini da data has been absolutely fabulous because we've now gone through equinox. And, and so we've been able to see storms spin up and spin down in the hemispheres. Uh, we've been able to see what we think might be the equivalent of, of uh, moisture fall for lack of a better phrase, on, on Titan, as, as the seasons changed on Titan, uh, our, our thermodynamics shows no mercy. If you have a tilt, you have seasons, and that's kind of awesome. And then, but then you get a weird situation like uh, like Uranus, right? Well, so so Uranus is is the planet that fell over basically. This this is a world that uh, it twice a year for its years, which which are tens of years, tens of Earth years long. Um, it it will point its its north pole pretty much exactly at the sun, and then it will point point its south pole pretty much exactly at the sun, and and 
this leads to massive storm differences. It leads to very strange dynamics and how you have to try and model its atmosphere. And it's it's just a very different world where imagine half the planet went tonight and half the planet went today and you're still rotating. So you're still getting the, the winds that are driven by planetary rotation. It's, it's just a very different, very interesting world. And then just to mess with us, there are worlds like Pluto where the seasons are defined not by axial tilt, but by the fact that it actually does get significantly closer and further from the sun. So, right. yeah. Right. So that does play an effect. I mean, if you've got a really elliptical orbit, you're going to get the situation where the the distance to the sun is going to play into your your temperature extremes with your seasons. But you have to have a seriously elliptical orbit. Uh, comets are, are an example of the extreme of this, where they don't exactly have tails in the outer solar system. And you can view their heated up and expelling a tail as, as summer. They... they may have tilt depending on which one you look at uh, but that doesn't matter what matters for them is distance from the sun so planets yeah. for the most part planets according to the modern definition of planets uh, don't have very elliptical orbits with the exception of uranus and neptune they're pretty much round mercury's another annoying not as round as one would want but round enough yeah, I think it has one of the most roundest orbits, so and not a lot of tilt. But and of course now we're in this this modern age where what like five hundred extrasolar planets have been discovered, and so and there's there's evidence for upwards of a thousand that still need to be confirmed. So <laughs> yeah, and so we're finding again these concepts of seasons are now starting to extend out into these extrasolar planets. You've got you've got worlds, these hot Jupiters, which are tidally locked to their sun. I mean, what right. would a season feel like on a on a planet like that? No season, uh, right? Yeah, not so much. If you're tidally locked, uh, the part of your planet that is getting crispied is going to stay the part that's getting crispied. And the part that is pointed away is, is probably going to, to have its own effects to deal with. Um, so tidal locking is, is definitely one of those bad things for, for seasons when you're tidally locked to a star. Much better to tidally lock yourself to another planet like our moon has done. Right, right. And then imagine some of these worlds that, that are, you know, in binary star systems, you know, the Tatooines, where you would probably get these really complicated seasons with... Well, it depends you know. on how the orbit is. If you think about it, as you get significantly far away from the other stars, they aren't going to really impact your seasons. So if you're orbiting close in to your host star and the other two stars are, are significant or one star is significantly far away, it won't play any more of a role in the seasons than than. I don't know, the moon's reflected light plays in the seasons. Right, so there's just not a lot of energy coming out of these other stars right. in, this, in the system. Right? And, and the other situation is you have close-in close in binary stars with planets orbiting the set. So in that case, again, if, if you're orbit, orbiting both stars at once, yes, the amount of light you get will depend on how those two binary systems are or aren't eclipsing one another. Um, but But again that's not going to be necessarily what dominates your seasons depending on distances it's geometry allows all options and so you can have crazy seasons if the stars are close in and you're between the two of them in a chaotic orbit um, but then you can also have nice stable seasons that have some variation but not that crazy simply because the pl the stars 
are significantly far apart or significantly closer compared to the distance to the planet. And you can have a situation like Venus where the atmospheric effects are so powerful that they really just override any seasonal variations that you would feel. Right. So so it, this, this is the case of um, <laughs> everything that comes in does not get given back up to space. So you have such good, essentially one-way insulation on Venus that the sunlight passes through the clouds and then when the infrared radiation tries to escape back into space, that atmosphere says no. And that that atmosphere causes the entire planet to to basically remain as a giant heat sink that keeps keeps the atmosphere hot beyond what you would get without the atmosphere, 900 degrees Fahrenheit. So I got one last weird question for you here, uh, which I know are your favorites. Um, does the moon experience seasons? Um, it doesn't really have that much of an atmosphere. Right. So it doesn't have the atmosphere to trap the, the heat. But if you lived on some base on the moon that, that maybe wasn't in one of these, you know, permanently uh, dark craters, you know, would you experience seasons? In the same way? So the the thing with the moon is it goes around the earth every month, and it's during that month that it changes how it's oriented towards the sun. And there are slight librations that cause some of it to point more towards the sun, some of it to, cause l- to point less towards the sun. And when you do thermal maps, this can crop up in in how heat is dissipated, but we're still trying to understand this. We're still doing the thermal maps. We're still trying to figure out what heats up for long, what retains its heat longer, what doesn't, how do all of these different things interplay. So stay tuned for more data to come down. Definitely, you know, would want to go into your calculations if you wanted to set up your solar panels and, and collect your energy on the moon, right? Well, so, so there it's a simple matter of, of put your solar panels in an area that's eternally lit on either the northern or southern pole. That's an easy calculation. And yeah. for the majority of the, the planet, it's uh, not planet, for the majority of the moon, it, it's going to be half a rotation of sunlight, half a rotation of darkness, and you just don't get around that. Cool. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Pamela. Thank you. This has been Astronomy Cast, a weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos. Show notes and transcripts for every episode are available on our website. Check it out at astronomycast.com. You can send us any comments, questions, or feedback to info at astronomycast.com. We read every email. The show is a nonprofit educational resource provided by Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. We're supported through the kind donations of listeners like you. If you enjoy Astronomy Cast, why not give us a donation? It helps us pay for bandwidth, transcripts, and show notes. Just click the donate link on the website. All donations are tax deductible for U.S. taxpayers. You can support the show for free, too. Write a review or recommend it to your friends. Every little bit helps. Click support the show on our website to see some suggestions. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. Music is provided by Travis Searle. The show was edited by Preston Gibson. Astronomy Cast is produced at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, with generous support from Universe Today.